This episode of No Bad Food is brought to you in part by Whiskey Lane. Are you a producer of artisan food or drinks looking to get your name out there? Look no further. Whiskey Lane's team of social media, branding, and marketing experts is here to help. They'll take care of all that stuff for you so that you can focus on doing what you do best, making awesome products for your customers. Here at No Bad Food, we know that buying locally made products goes a long way toward making our world more sustainable, and that's why we're proud to be sponsored by Whiskey Lane. So, what are you waiting for? Grab your nearest artisan cheese or homebrewed IPA and run to whiskeylane.ca to find out more. And remember, that's whiskey the Canadian way. Without any. You understand. It just takes a little time. It takes a little time. It takes a little time with me. I hope you don't mind. We'll take it slow this time. Hi, I'm Tom Zalatni, and you're listening to the No Bad Food Podcast. If you're new here, welcome. This is a show about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. Our mandate is simple, to explore, taste, and learn about food in ways that celebrate all the things that make it great. Every week, we dig into a different dish, meal, ingredient, cuisine, or piece of food media, exploring the history and culture around it, sharing favorite recipes, and learning from our wonderful guests. The only rule? You gotta love it. After all, there's no such thing as bad food. Today, we're talking all about camembert and the taste of memory. Before we dig in, I'd like to take a minute to acknowledge that the studio where I'm recording is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember when the lands we occupy are not our own, and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. I want to encourage you to take some time today and every day to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and with the indigenous communities of that area. So this spring, before this show was called No Bad Food, we held our second annual Munch Madness Bracket Tournament to determine the best food of the year. Countless guest judges phoned in week after week to cast their votes and decide which food was most worthy of the title, and in a finale that can only be described as not even remotely surprising and a one-sided competition, Cheese defeated runner-up Pies and took home the title for 2021. As a result, I'm dedicated to bringing you a ton of cheesy content this year as a way of celebrating its victory. I've got a special treat for you guys today. My guest, Keith Sari, is an incredible storyteller and was kind enough to phone in and talk cheese with me. Specifically, we get into French cheeses and mind-blowing cheese experiences, his in Paris and mine right here in Montreal. At some point during this conversation, I'm going to mention Napoleon's cheese castle because past Tom was really tired and recovering from a second COVID vaccine dose and uh, couldn't remember the name of the place. Uh, But since that recording, obviously, I have managed to find the cheese that I'm talking about from the aforementioned cheese castle, and it was delicious. So if you want to try it for yourself, it's called Comte Juraflore from the Fort de Russe in France. It is uh, a fort that was literally one of Napoleon's forts and has since been converted into a sort of cheese factory and cheese storage and aging place. It's really magical. Cave age cheese. Look it up. It's it's a beautiful thing. Anyway, let's get to my conversation with Keith. My guest on this week's episode of No Bad Food is Keith Sari. Keith is the host and producer of the Volume Knob podcast, which is a storytelling podcast about music that saves your life, saves their life, saves the storyteller's life. Specifically. <laughs> the song that <laughs> saved your life. You, the, the listener. Of the podcast. Yes. We will tell you which songs save your life, and next time you hear them, watch out for buses. Um, Keith, <laughs> thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Tom. Um, so I always give my guests a chance to 
kind of contextualize themselves within food a little bit uh, right at the top of the show. So how about you tell me a little bit about yourself and how you grew up, what kind of stuff you liked eating, what kind of stuff you like eating now. Give us a kind of broad picture. So I grew up on the north coast of British Columbia in a working class, trending, poor family. And my both of my parents were poor, trending, impoverished folks. So food was the one luxury where where I grew up, where my mother grew up, it was wasn't uncommon to have something like did you eat yet be the equivalent of a hello. Right. And so and so um there was a lot of food as an expression of love, food as an expression of caring for somebody. Um a full stomach was sort of the aspiration. And so uh, and and a less than full stomach, though thankfully never happened to us as kids. Um, that was the you know that was the the borderline that we were trying to avoid mm-hmm. heading into. So I feel like I to this day have many relationships where, with food which are based on this assumption. Like nothing, I was in I was in a grocery store a couple of weeks ago, texting a friend of mine, and I said, you know, this may sound silly for for a professional person who doesn't have financial cares anymore but a full grocery cart still makes me feel just this really weird joy and i texted him a photograph of my grocery cart which was you know it, nothing special but it you know like it was full of beer and vegetables and and um and all kinds of things and that so yeah for me a lot of uh, you know, when I, my wife always makes fun of me for when we have friends over is, I, you know, we'll have four people over and I'll cook for eight. Right. Because that's, that, that plenty is just an expression of uh, the things that my life we're building towards, uh, has been building towards. And so, and, and the way it expresses into actual foodstuffs, I mean, I think it's, it's pretty simple what I'd probably consider in retrospect to be relatively unsophisticated things. Sure. Um, you know, it, it, we grew up, we grew up in a small town, uh, you know, so access to, I don't know, foreign quote unquote, foreign ingredients didn't exist. Uh, you know, uh, we didn't have a lot of expensive things. So, you know, we didn't eat, I know we're going to talk about cheese later. We didn't <laughs> eat fancy cheese right. when I was a kid. Velveeta was considered like my mom's, bought that on special occasions sure. by Velveeta, which again, in, in retrospect, just kind of gives me the creeps. But <laughs> um, but yeah, so, uh, and I think, you know, when, and I know you're very interested in food history and food culture, like it's, it's, it's almost interesting to think about how um, want leads to, if not luxury, then, then great taste experiences like mm. these this whole idea of peasant food that turns into gourmet food and, right. and um i feel like in ways that you know i can i can touch on that in sort of a small like a a, a small letter way because you know when i'm growing up uh, chicken and rice was my favorite sure. and and it was button mushrooms from a can in the chicken and rice and i wouldn't i mean i can afford fresh mushrooms now sure. and so I, I, that's that's how i approach mushrooms but for me the mushrooms in my mom's chicken and rice from a can was like the height with with cans and cans of craft pre ground parmesan cheese on top of it honestly that sounds wonderful it's pretty awesome <laughs> but today I, I get you know like i'll buy parmesan cheese in a block and sure. it's 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 a, it's, a, it's a superior experience but to me that green and red can mm-hmm. is was like that 
like that's my you know you have sort of key key line visuals when you're thinking about time in your life and for me that green and red craft can is like me at nine years old with my mom's chicken and rice totally I think so also having grown up a little bit on the west coast and being in a sort of uh what did you say working class leaning poor something like that trending I think <laughs> trending I said, trending yeah. there we go yeah I, I think kind of similar but you know different kind of generational upbringings but like I think in a similar vein like I had um for us food was very much something that we you know splurged on right my we were my mom was a single parent who worked part-time as a lunch monitor at my elementary school so it was uh money was tight you know we we had what we had and food had to go a long way and food had to be carefully figured out right we couldn't waste things we had to buy the right stuff and cook it the right way and and at the same time it was something where I think because my grandparents are big foodies my mom kept that sort of spirit about it and very much was like okay I'm going to if I'm going to splurge on anything it's going to be like a slightly nicer cheese or a slightly nicer cut of meat and like yeah I think that there is something to that sort of well, I think you said it really well when you said that want breeds, uh, what was it? Want breeds affinity for, for good things. I don't remember. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't remember specifically what I said, but, but that, that, that image really speaks to me. It's funny. Mm. Cause I, I, I talked about Velveeta, but, uh, I buy butter now. Sure. <laughs> it seems like a very strange thing to say, but, um, we only had butter at Christmas. Sure. It was margarine the rest of the time, right? Right. It's cheaper. Margarine yeah. the rest of the year because yeah. it's cheaper. And and my mom would buy butter for the Christmas shortbread. Mm. And that would be the time we would have butter in the house. Right. And and it's and it's funny because whenever I see a tub of like we're right now, your listeners obviously can't tell this, but right now I'm in um my wife's family cottage on the east coast of uh, it's in Nova Scotia and um, it's used primarily by my wife's aunt who's in her 80s and and um, and there was a big tub of basil in the fridge when we came in here and I'm sure. like I literally have not touched a tub of margarine <laughs> in since I was a student sure you know just even seeing it so yeah it's um this idea of how you express love and and I can really empathize as well with like my mom used to aggressively review the weekly flyers from the grocery mm, stores yep, yep. and she would do her she would do her menu planning based on what was for sale sorry on sale in in the grocery stores right and um yeah I I remember relatively distinctly distinctly reaching a point in my life where I I, I haven't looked at a grocery store flyer in ages right. and that's because you know I, i've uh, thankfully reached a, a level of comfort where i can feed my family in a way that is more based on my whims sure you know <laughs> uh and and so yeah i, I mean things like birthday cakes at, at birthdays were always elaborate i mean they weren't i'm sure they weren't expensive it's just a birthday cake but sure. but that was that was you know the gifts couldn't be elaborate so you know the the party was elaborate and the cake right. was elaborate and, and you know like the hot dogs hot and cold running hot dogs kind of thing so yeah um and i think that really that uh if you're paying attention to yourself i think that dictates a lot how you relate to food how you relate to expression i mean without getting too fancy with expressions of love like is this is this a way that you express the way you care about people right and i get along really well with good hosts hmm. like people people who who 
have that sort of generosity in the way they approach their relationships with people right. and it's they're not always people who who grew up with want but um often they are yeah often they are it's, well, it's a desire to express that yeah and i think that even like thinking about the people that i know who have that kind of eat more eat more let me feed you more kind of instinct it's if they didn't personally grow up kind of food insecure their parents did or like their grandparents did and they spent a lot of time with those generations of their family so that culture still kind of stays part of it right think about immigrant communities right, right? Exactly. like i mean you know like the, the stereotypical italian or greek grandma trying you know you're too skinny you're too skinny you gotta right. eat more and then that's because they or or even sort of less can you say less ethnically? I mean, you know, even more waspily, let's sure. say. Um, my my friends who had parents who grew up in England during the war, mm-hmm. who have huge canned stores under, like, the, the pantries full of canned goods right. for, for weeks. And it's because, you know, corn went on sale, and so they bought a flat of it. And, yeah. and that was just because they grew up in Sheffield in the 40s, and, like, you're marked by that. That that becomes an expression. I mean, you, maybe not of who you are fully as a person, but it's definitely how you relate to food and totally. to want and to scarcity. Yeah. Well, that's it. Like, I think that there is, you know, I mean, look, we can call it what it is. It, it's, it's a little bit of a trauma thing, right? It is at least a little bit like, you know, I experienced trauma around not knowing where the next meal is going to come from. And I also experienced joy around, you know, being provided for or being able to provide for people and those things really do stay with you because those you know one on the one hand the traumatic feelings of of food insecurity stay with you for obvious reasons and on the other hand the joyous feelings of you know having that security also stay with you right and i I think that that you know in an ideal world we would have a lot more of the latter than of the former but but i think (laughs) you know i think that for people who you know especially i think especially like yourself who come from a place of insecurity and then get to a place of security i think it makes a lot of sense to have both of those kind of the the you've got the two wolves inside you almost right sure one is hungry and the other is you know happily feeding friends and and they kind of those things can kind of guide the way that you react, not react, the way that you relate to food kind of for yeah. the rest of your life. And I think that that's yeah. okay. <laughs> when I th- and I think I, I can imagine, uh, and thankfully for me, this hasn't been the case. I can imagine it being, I can imagine it being a lot more unhealthy. You know, sure. I can imagine a lot of people and, and, and uh, people within my social circle who have, you know, issues of control around food mm-hmm. as opposed to joy and, and fear, Sure. you know, and how that expresses itself sometimes in, in, uh, eating disorders or, or, or that sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah I can, I, can, I mean, what, what's, what's that old saw? Like we, we're, we're all a product of everything we've learned and everything we've seen. So yeah, right. you know, like it's, it's no surprise to me that, um, and, and frankly, happily so much of my life as an adult has been expressions of joy mm. through, you know, like my warmest memories with many of my friends, my warmest memories with my family are all around, you know, around a, around a dinner table, sure. you know, um, or, or, you know, a, a fire pit, you know, where you're grilling something or, right. um, yeah. So food and, and, uh, and drink have always been a, a big part of, relationships mm-hmm. and and for me that's that's the most important thing about sort of being alive is being around people that you care about and taking care of them yeah 
I love that. I've been finding like um for my in my early 20s I was in a better place financially than my mom was when I was growing up and I lost my job at the beginning of COVID and you know, I, I have a ton of credit card debt and like we get by, my partner makes money, not, you know, not substantially, but, but makes enough for us to survive. And, and, you know, I have government money of varying kinds. Like we, we are in an okay place, but we're certainly not in a place where it feels like we have like the most security around food. And so we, right. you know, we get the occasional delivery from the food depot and we have to pay attention to what we're ordering and eating and buying, but we can still order food. Right. So that's kind of the level that we're at is like, we, we will do takeout a few times a week, but also we have to be kind of careful about it. And sure. I, for me, the, the way that I kind of, and I think that being in quarantine for, you know, over a year has really, really driven this home for me. I think it's absolutely true that one of the biggest ways that I express love to my friends is by feeding them, right? Yeah. To the point where back when I had a really steady stream of income, I would have people over and I would make a big meal and it would be, you know, kind of my way of saying like, hey, bunch of people I care about, come over. I'm going to make a whole bunch of food, appetizers and entrees, and I'm going to give you drinks and I'm going to kind of like, you know, multiple dishes and, and courses and kind of really go whole hog on it I guess but now with things being a little bit more sparse and also with you know social interactions being a little bit more sparse right. we're taking care of that <laughs> yeah now I'm like we you know we've been able to since we've got both doses of the vaccine now we're able to start seeing people kind of in smaller groups here and there and especially what I've been realizing this summer is I love to grill for people even if I'm not the one buying the ingredients like we had a friend uh, we had a couple of friends actually come over maybe a week two weeks ago now although at the time of this recording months ago now um right who you know <laughs> the uh the wife texted me and was like or no it so their husband and wife and the wife was telling the husband you know i'm really craving a grilled hot dog specifically and they don't have a grill they don't have a good balcony for it um and the husband was like why don't we just text Tom and see if like next time Tom is grilling, they can, you know, do a couple extra hot dogs, send them my way. And uh, so the husband texts me and he's like, Hey, uh, do you think that maybe you could grill some hot dogs for us sometime? And I was like, yeah, what are you doing tomorrow? And I was like, yeah, come over tomorrow, bring hot dogs, bring burgers, bring anything you want. And I will grill it. You know, you bring the food, I will bring the fire. And we had a really lovely evening of just, you know, I did not prepare or pay for any of the food. I just stood there with a fire and took stuff and cooked it and gave it to them. And it was so nice to be in that place of like, feeling like I'm providing, feeling like I am showing love that way that I am used to showing love without it feeling like I need to be in a place of total food security in order to do it. I don't know if that makes sense. It was kind of rambly, but yeah. No, no, but I mean, um, the idea of finding generosity, like there's no greater generosity than when you yourself are in, in a position of want. Sure. Like that, that, that concept of, you know, the shirt off your back or, or, <laughs> you know, splitting the last sandwich. Right. Um, there's, there's no greater generosity than that. You know, so yeah, I totally can empathize with that. And and one of the other things that that I was thinking of when when you were discussing that is this idea. Um, I've got, I've got an anecdote about it. I recent I recently turned fifty, and um, I I like you. I think um, I'm a pretty social guy. Sure. And so um, you know, when the pandemic started last March, 
I remember saying to everyone, okay, you know what? This my my birthday's at the end of April. I remember saying to everyone on social media, look, uh, pretty bad that we're gonna have to kick my birthday to the curb this year. But next year, next year's the <laughs> big round numbered birthday. Mm-hmm. And we are gonna have a gigantic party. Obviously, that did not come to pass. Right. But my wife's cousin, who uh, she and her husband and their two kids live a couple blocks away from us. It must be said that you and I also live a couple blocks yeah. apart in, in NDG. <laughs> and um, on my 50th birthday, she made an entire meal for my wife and I, cocktails through to dessert. Wow. And we, with them, and she's one of the, like when I think of the great hosts in my mm-hmm. in my life, she's one of them. Sure. Um, and there was something about this meal in particular that was a that was a, a perfect expression of her, you know, caring for me as a person. Um, this is someone, you know, obviously I've never lived with them. We've shared a lot of meals, but sure. but um, you know, it's not like we're cooking for each other every day. And all of my favorites were there, and she knew what my favorites were. Right. And they were expressed in a way that said you know like i see you i'm paying attention to you Uh i'm i'm trying to make you in particular feel good today Mm. and um so you know like this idea of your grandmother or your mother or your you know whoever cooks for you being the one who who knows your favorites and is going to make them for you to make you feel better or to make you feel good um that can still happen right when you're a middle-aged person and it's 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 pretty awesome. Yeah, it does. I'm kidding. <laughs> shout, shout, shout out to Christina, who's, who's an amazing, amazing person and made me feel really good on my birthday. I love that. Yeah, I think that there is uh, there's something really wonderful about finding those people who can kind of notice those things and, and pay attention to those things and, and really value those things, right? Because I, I think that in our <laughs> capitalist Western world, it is not a thing that is commonly valued to like you know pay attention to other people and and really <laughs> feel that empathy and and invest time and money and and resources into making other people feel good you know like it's just something that is i think really undervalued and so it's really nice when you can find people who like still have that i don't know i think there's something really beautiful about that that's what friendship is that's what family is or what, what it should like what it should be exactly you know? it is what it is to me yeah for sure yeah Hey, 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 ho, 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 it's the mid-roll. If you're enjoying the show so far, make sure to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so that you never miss a new episode. While you're at it, consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or sharing this episode with a friend. For every new rating or... I'm not going to do the French accent the whole time. That's really annoying. For every new rating and review I get during the month of August, I'll be donating $2 to The Depot, my local food bank here in NDG. They can turn every $1 that they get into $3 worth of food for a family in need. So by doing the simple free act of leaving a rating and review for this show, you're functionally donating $6 worth of food to people who need it. There's literally no other way to turn zero into six like that. So if this kind of math is exciting for you, go do it. Leave a rating and review. You can read all about what the depot is doing at the link in the description of this episode. Now that the show has been heavily focused on food for a while, I went back and noticed that most of our existing Apple podcast reviews are outdated and talk about the show like it's a comedy podcast. So if you've already left a review in the past, make sure to take this opportunity to go update it. And I'll include that as a new review, even if it's technically just an update of an old one, because accurate reviews are more helpful than outdated ones. Also, uh, (laughs) if you left a review in the past using he, him pronouns for me, maybe leave a new review because I don't use those anymore. I 
exclusively use they them pronouns and it kind of bums me out to see myself getting misgendered in the reviews section of my podcast i don't know just a thought Lastly, if you haven't had a chance yet to listen to last week's episode where our food crimes correspondent Giovanni Colantonio phoned in to talk about sub sandwiches, go cue that up and listen to it when you finish this one. We dissect what we think makes a good sub, share stories of $5 footlongs, and answer the age-old question, is Big Hot Dog a sub? Anyway, that's enough for me. Let's get back to my conversation with Keith Sari. All right, so Keith, obviously you alluded to this earlier, people can see the title and description of the episode, so they may already know where we're going with this. Uh, I probably even mentioned it in the intro. Spoiler alert. Yeah, (laughs) spoilers. I record the intro way after recording the conversations because that's the best way to record an intro. Um, Obviously, we're here to talk a little bit more about cheese because cheese was the winner of Munch Madness 2021 and is therefore the thing I have to talk about the most this year on the podcast per my contract with myself and with my listeners. Can I just Um, say that pie got ripped (laughs) off? Pie did get ripped off a little bit, I think. I, as as a gigantic pie partisan, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm 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 a big fan of cheese, and I'm looking forward to talking to, about cheese a little bit. But uh, actually, people, you know, even people who do not know me as well as the cousin Christina that we talked about earlier in the show, know that I am a huge pie partisan. But sure. anyway, please let's talk cheese. Let's talk cheese. You know, I get it. I think that the reason I think pie got ripped off is because both the people who voted in that final match talked at length about how much they love pie and then still voted for cheese and i'm like hang on a second hang on traitor <laughs> yeah exactly uh it is of course cheese time um so when you and i were chatting before figuring out a time to record i mentioned cheese and you were like oh i love cheese i have cheese stories so uh tell me your cheese story tell me about a cheese situation so it's you were a in. cheese situation <laughs> uh what a way to ask so, that this is it so uh, here's my cheery story, Tom. Sure. Um, so when you and I were talking sometime back about about cheese stories, um, the one that immediately came to mind uh, was a single piece of cheese that I had uh, 25-ish years ago. And the fact that it is that long ago and I can still remember the exact vision of this particular piece of cheese is... Um, I, I guess a statement of how much of an impression it made on me. Sure. It was uh, in a, a bistro in Paris called Restaurant Au Camelot. So Camelot for you um, non-French uh, folks. Um, on Rue Amelot in the 11th uh, arrondissement in Paris. That's Amelot and for you non-French folks. Am- Amelot for you non-French <laughs> folks. It's Camelot with a T. So... Um, uh, and so this bistro, uh, which my girlfriend at the time and I found in a magazine article back when there weren't, um, you know, a, a million and one reviews on the web for everywhere you would go, was in a um, an article on the the bistronomy. Uh, I can't remember what they called it, but it was it was essentially a movement of all of these sous chefs in very fancy three-star Michelin restaurants who wanted to break away from like very expensive oat gastronomy and start simple restaurants. Hmm. And being that we were, you know, in our mid twenties and traveling alone, um, you know, we, we obviously were not in the, in the market for three-star Michelin restaurants, which cost thousands of dollars for a meal. Um, But the idea that these, um, these chefs who were 
you know, obviously very talented, um, were starting places that were affordable and approachable seemed mm-hmm. really great. And so we went for this, this meal and it was, um, it was simple and it was perfect. And there was a double dessert course. There was this cheese, this small piece of camembert, which was in a tiny little wedge about the size of a toonie and, uh, served in a very plain room on a, on a plain white plate. So it was white on white. And I had never tasted cheese before that moment. Hmm. Honestly, it was, um, it was one of those moments where you put something in your mouth and everything stops kind of like, kind of like, you know, in Ratatouille when the, when the, when the reviewer goes hurtling back dozens of years to his childhood, I really, I couldn't hear anything. I couldn't see anything. All I could, all I could do was feel this particular sensation, this taste in my mouth. And so I've been lucky enough since to live in France for a while. And, and when I think of, my time in France, there's different taste memories that, you know, even from that trip, we, we did it, we did a wine um, tasting in Chateauneuf de Pape in the, in the, in the Rhone Valley. And I have a couple of moments that are, that are again, just indelibly ingrained in my brain uh, about the sort of this whole body experience that food mm. can give you. It's sure. not just sustenance. It's not just taste. It's, it's this, this emotional moment Mm. and so yeah when i think cheese i mean obviously hundreds hundreds of different experiences with it um before and since i mean we we talked earlier about you know craft parm in a can which is a completely different thing um uh it might still be cheese i don't know if they are actually allowed to call it cheese Uh, i think it's still cheese um they sell it in a little jar now it's it's not canned anymore well, I, I think you can still get it in a can. Really? Yeah, but but it would be cool if if you if you couldn't because that might be some sort of uh, nod to the fact that it's what's what's always weird is it's it's not in anywhere else. Like it's it's with the the jarred sauce in the in the pasta aisle of the, mm. of the grocery store, right? So it's it's like we're not going to even pretend that this is with the other cheeses. This is a product apart that you're going to put on your jarred pasta sauce with your ninety nine cent. <laughs> Ricatoni. Sure. So, yeah. oh, you know what? Um, yeah, no, I, I see this. Yeah, I I just googled parm in a can, and I think I think I was picturing more of like a tin can as opposed to the no, no, it's yeah, a plastic yeah. tube yeah. almost. There it's almost go. like the size of a Coke can, but it's and yeah. you and you get at you get at the cheese <laughs> b- by rotating a, a a plastic lid on the top and punching through punching your finger through a sheet of aluminum foil like you would I don't know opening a, a bottle of sauce or sure. something. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that, that's, I mean, that's the, you know, the sort of the prime mm-hmm. cheese experience for me was, was that particular evening in, in, in Paris, which as I recount, it sounds like almost, and I, I nearly said cheesy, which is terrible, <laughs> but it's, it, it's, it's, it sounds like, I don't know, violin music or, or fanciness. And, and it's not really, yeah. you know, like it was, it was, it was a simple, simple pleasure that, that, yeah, a really warm memory. Totally. Well, I think that there's something really, I, I think things that we think of as cliche and cheesy, it's just because there's truth to them, right? Like we, nothing, all of the kind of tropes that you see about, especially I think around food, like, 
I don't know. Those are those are real things, right? We just we start to kind of like devalue them because we see them so often. But like, that, I, I think that that is totally legit, right? Like, there is something really true about the first time that you eat a thing and it hits you and you go, oh, whoa. Now I get it. Yeah. Like that is, that is significant. And that's that moment where like, you know, the camera pulls back from you and shows the whole city for a second. And then it comes back to you and you're like, wow, that's like, I just tasted Paris, you know? Yeah. yeah, I, I think that's, that's valid. I think especially you said it was a camembert. Yeah, it was. Yeah. That makes total sense to me. I, I think so for, for listeners who might not be as familiar, camembert is a soft cheese kind of nutty kind of woody kind of brie adjacent but i think a little stronger is that, yeah, is that a fair way grassy, to put that grassier yeah um yeah from traditionally from the Auvergne. Yeah. i think I, i'm gonna i'm gonna guess but i'm not sure off the top of my head yeah um, and i think also uh, i need to double check this there is a oh i wish i could remember the name of this right now maybe you'll be able to to fill this in napoleon had a fort do you know about this Napoleon's fort that is now a cheese factory? No, I'm not uh, familiar with this. I think it's maybe called Chateau de Russe. Let me see if I got that right. Napoleon Cheese Castle is probably what I have to Google <laughs> in order to get this. Uh, let's see. <laughs> that's ridiculous. That, that, that's going to be the name of my cheese shop. <laughs> Napoleon's I... Cheese Castle. Hold on. Why am I not? Napoleon Cheese Fort, maybe? Anyway, Napoleon has this fort, right? Uh, used to be Napoleon's Fort. Spoilers, he's dead. Now he... Uh, <laughs> now people make cheese there. Uh, I believe it's in Comte. Um, anyway, all this being said, uh, in this fort, they make the cheese they stored the cheese it is a it is a magical thing it is a place i want to go sometime in my life uh i don't know why i can't find pictures of this somewhere because i was just looking at this the other day um but i think that they maybe even store camembert there is is the only so yeah I, my understanding that. is that it, camembert is is often cave aged before it's sold i and and i hesitate to sort of seem like i know more about this than i do because i, I don't know much but um, yeah, my understanding is that that's part of the funk that you get from from a particularly good one is is that it it smells a little bit like like a basement. Yeah, it's an acquired taste for some people. I acquired it quickly. Yeah, and I think that that funk that you get from that cheese, especially with something like a camembert, that is it's strong but it's still accessible. You know, like there yeah, are yeah. cheeses that are so pungent that you're like. Oh, okay. Hang on. If you've never had a strong cheese before, but camembert is, I think, a really good gateway into that. And so it makes total sense that, like, you know, if you grew up, you know, mostly eating the cheese that we had here in Canada, you know, well, I'm thinking what twenty five years ago. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like you get cheddar, you maybe get mozzarella, depending on where you are. You might get cheese curds if you're in the right province, but you don't have as much of that. Although Quebec, I think, is yeah. is a whole. I other mean, animal. where we grew up, maybe, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, it's also worth mentioning that this is um, this is really gooey sure. stuff, yeah, which can be um, like, and and when when it when a soft cheese like this is served properly, um, I don't even know if a, aged is not the right word, but but uh, ripened ripened is the word I'm looking for. Sure, yeah, um, it's it's this it it fits in this puddingy space, which can I think uh, also freak people out if they're not you know if they're not used to it but for me that was part of the part of the joy of this particular experience is it was uh unctuous and thick and 
and yeah, just a wonderful, wonderful thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But that's it. And and I think that the first time you have that, it's so different from any other cheese you've had, right? That it like, it is kind of a, a eye-opening experience, maybe. Like, I don't remember offhand the first time that I would have had kind of a strong cheese because like I alluded to before, cheese was one of those things that my family would splurge on. And so mm-hmm. I kind of grew up eating fancy cheese here and there, obviously not a, not constant, but like enough that it, it, feels like a normal thing to me a little bit sort of special occasion yeah exactly um but i actually did have a kind of mind-blowing cheese experience recently if we can call it that where um there's a tv show on the food network right now uh, although i think by the time this comes out probably the last episode of it will have aired i don't know called cheese a love story and it's hosted by this guy afrin pristine who is the youngest maitre fromager in the world uh, he's based out of Toronto, and he's been going around to all of these places throughout the world that have strong cheese cultures. So he went to France, he's gone to Switzerland, he's gone to um, Quebec and Toronto even. Um, and in the episode uh, about Quebec cheese specifically, he went and got one that I am blanking on the name of right now, but it is a cheese that felt a little bit like an even stronger camembert and an even goopier camembert. Um, I want to say maybe oh, that it's... that sounds um, good. Yeah. Oh, let me tell you, this was no kind of like a Kind of like a Mondal or something like that? Or... or... Adore. It was called Adore. As I in see. Okay. adored, but with an A-Y instead of the way you would normally spell it. It's from here. It's like made in, in you know, rural Quebec. Uh, it's like a barrel, not barrel, um, like a wood aged kind of cheese wrapped mm-hmm. in spruce bark with a, it's really soft. It's really delicious. Um, and I saw him eat that and I thought, you know what? Next time I go to the nice butcher, I'm going to see if they have at the cheese counter Adoree cheese. Cause I watched him eat it and I said, wow, this cheese is sauce texture at room temperature. Like, you right. don't have to melt it in order for it to melt. And I'd never seen that in a cheese before. Um, and sure enough, they had it. <laughs> and it was not cheap. It was the most expensive cheese I've ever bought. Um, it wasn't outrageous. It's like 15 bucks for, you know, the the wheel, the little wheel, uh, which, like, is too much. But, like, yeah. $15 for one item? Like, I had $15, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's right. it's too much per weight, <laughs> for cheese it's, it's one of those things too it's, <laughs> it, um you go in you go in expecting to buy steak yes 15 dollars, and you can you know you don't come away wincing but if you yeah yeah exactly. a single single piece of cheese yeah that, that might that make me make you wince yeah that's it when i'm when i'm used to buying like a brick of cheddar that's like you know probably twice as much cheese as this for four dollars paying 15 dollars right. for this this piece of cheese was you know but again, not a ton of money itself, the 15, right? Anyway, well, all this being an said. Expression, an expression <laughs> of how it's being made and where it's being made and by whom it's being made and, yeah. and, the, care, and the care and all those steps and, you know. That's uh, it. And, yeah. and so I had this kind of, you know, I sat down and I was like, okay, I'm going to buy this cheese. I'm going to eat this cheese. We got nice crackers to go with it. We got some nice sausage to go with it. Everything was, you know spread out we even teffer had just bought me a one of those serving plates that looks like a log you know and i was like this is wonderful you know and we sat down and i cut into it because you're supposed to cut the you can't eat the rind the rind is bad um so i cut the rind off and i'm looking at it i'm like this is wonderful it smells so strong i'm really excited and 
I put some on a cracker and I put it in my mouth and time stopped a little bit. <laughs> and right. it, I hadn't had that with a cheese in a very long time to the point where I couldn't remember the last time I had had that with a cheese. This was, I think I'm going to remember this cheese forever. And I, I think that it's not insignificant that it's from where I am, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm so happy that the, the punchline of that story is I put, not I put it in my mouth and was kind of disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I'm glad that you had that experience yeah. after after all that effort and thought <laughs> and money put into it. Yeah, no kidding. I <laughs> I definitely uh, I've had disappointing food experiences not not unfrequently. Honestly, I tend to overhype things for myself, but this was uh, thankfully not one of them. It met, it met the it met the hype. That's awesome. It sounds a little bit, a little bit like Mondal. Like I I um when we lived in France, my wife is a university professor, and so we we were on sabbatical in France uh, about eight years ago, and we uh, we lived in in a small town near the border with Switzerland uh, mm-hmm. in in the, the Haute Savoie, which is a, a very famous cheese region. Yeah, and we went over to a friend's house for dinner, um, and it was cheese for dinner and we had we had mondal which is another one of these spruce wrapped it's not spruce leaves but it's it's um it comes in a in a round that's made of spruce wood and you put it in the oven briefly and then that people like people put you you each person gets a wheel and then in the middle of the table there's like you know bread rounds and vegetables and it's like everyone's got their own little individual fondue yeah um and that yeah that was pretty memorable I actually we had a couple of fondue experiences <laughs> in that part of the world that were pretty memorable well that makes sense border of france and switzerland you said some amazing <laughs> oh my goodness um yeah some of it, you mentioned conte earlier and and that that was just to the north but um yeah, there's there's some amazing cheeses from that part of the world. That, oh. there, actually, there was this tiny little town that we lived in. Um, one of the one of the destination attractions in this town that we lived in, which was called the Tonon Les Bains, was a cheese shop. Right. Uh, and 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 the 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 guy who owned the cheese shop was a uh, maître ouvrier de de, de France. Um, so someone who had won one of these. There was, I think, a movie made about the the pastry chefs who are mm-hmm. who who are trying to be maitre ouvrier, which like is this very French draconian series of tests that they make people go through, and then you get right. to wear red, white, and blue piping on your on your on your collar, and that's the that's the reason to do it. And anyway, he had he had served uh, cheese to the president of France, and this this cheese shop we would go into in this place was just it smelled like someone had left something wet in a in a in a in in an enclosed room but you came out feeling like you had just i don't know discovered a new planet every time (laughs) you left it was the most wonderful thing i love that keith we are running out of time slash we've gone over time but i've been enjoying it so i'm gonna say we're running out of time um fair enough (laughs) you know make your own schedule that's that's what life is um lucky this uh this has been wonderful i'm absolutely gonna have to have you come back again at some point maybe in person next time since we're you know usually a couple blocks away from each other instead of a couple provinces away (laughs) and right uh, i think uh yeah i think it's gonna be a lot of fun to uh keep chatting food with you again I'd like that very much. Before I let you go, do you have any kind of final thoughts on cheese, final thoughts on life, on food, uh, and of course, any 
plugs things you want people to check out now is the time for it uh well i I don't know final thought is is recognize your good fortune and share it with people Mm -hmm. that's my general thought about not just food but just everything and um a plug is for folks who are interested in uh personal storytelling people who love music uh you know uh we will actually tom uh, you will eventually be on this show mm-hmm. as well. Uh, my show is called The Volume Knob, and you can check that out at, at www.volumeknob.net. Um, currently heading into my summer sabbatical, but um, I'm sure when this episode airs, season three of the show will be on, and that features comedians, actors, musicians, talented, talented people all sharing the story of the song that saved their life. So it's about... Um, times when music has created change and uh it's a labor of love for me and and uh i don't know if i think i think some of the emotions and the humanity that we've expressed in the last half hour are are things that uh, i'd like to think are reflected in my show as well yeah i think so yeah if you're listening to this and you have enjoyed this episode and been like wow keith is an amazing storyteller there's so much emotion and passion here go check out the volume knob you're not ready (laughs) This is just a fraction of it. That's really thoughtful. Thanks. <laughs> oh, man. Well, thank you again. This was wonderful. I think uh, I think people will get a lot out of this. I had a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, and uh, yeah, let's do it again soon. Absolutely. So that's it. That brings us to the end of our show. Thank you so much for listening to No Bad Food. Do you want to join the conversation? Hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at NoBadFoodPod. If you like this episode and want to help me make the show even better, you can go to patreon.com slash NoBadFoodPod to donate. For as little as a dollar a month, you'd be joining the ranks of fine folks like Patrick, Gabriel, Kendall, and Carlea, Thomas, George Poppy, Killian, Sarah, Angelica, Anne, Andrew, Laura, Chantal, and David. Our patrons get access to all kinds of awesome perks, including the ability to request topics for episodes of the show. So if that's exciting for you, you can head to patreon.com slash no bad food pod to make it happen we also have merch you can hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get all sorts of great stuff from our lovely friends over at t public and of course you can support us for free by leaving a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice especially apple podcasts and by sharing this episode with a friend our theme music is by zach ingles our cover art is by david flam and you can find links to support both of them as well as links to everything keith wants you to check out in the description of this episode last but not least the show is produced and edited by me tom zalatni as part of the upford network you can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. See you next week. You understand. It just takes a little time. It takes a little time. It takes a little time with me. I hope you don't mind. We'll take it slowly. Hello, my name is Stefan and I am the host of a show called Some Good Friends and it's a podcast and it will make you laugh and we talk to some of my good friends and they're crazy and hilarious and wacky and you're going to love them just as much as I do. Currently, while I'm recording this, I forgot to mute all my other takes so I'm hearing myself say different words in my ears. The show comes out every Monday weekly. On behalf of the Canadian people, welcome to the Game Great Podcast. Gay and Grey Montreal is a new social group for English-speaking gay elders from the 2S LGBTQIA plus communities. So it's a good way to at least connect with people. 
Members share their experiences, memories, and opinions on our podcast. Welcome to our community. I hope you feel well. I hope you feel accepted. And I hope that you can share anything that you want. This is some of my story. And I hope you enjoy it. Oh, I have a great story. (laughs) 